Kings chapter 22. First Kings 22. In our first session, our purpose was to look at the sovereignty of God in the Old Testament and speak to the heart of the church leader or the person, the believer who's overwhelmed. Uh, in our final session, uh, we want to look at the sovereignty of God and um, look at uh, the need for courage. Um, so in the first we saw prayer. Uh, this one we're going to focus in on the word, the ministry of the word. Um, whether that's uh, public or whether that's personal going from house to house, as we read in Acts. So uh, we meet up with Jehoshaphat once again, um, but we also meet up with Ahab, and we meet up with another prophet. So I'm going to read First uh, Kings 22. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Je Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I, <coughs> I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, had made iron horns, and he declared, this is what the Lord says, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Micaiah said, Surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. And when he arrived, the king asked to Micaiah, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. 
The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? But Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets. He said, You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Amon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. Read the rest of the story in just a moment. I think when it comes to preaching, uh, there is a lot to discourage us, especially when uh, we look at the context of preaching and uh, the necessity of the word. Uh, We might say, well, you know what? Others do it better. Uh, Or people have a passing interest in the word. You know, you, you you have to wrap things up nice and tight today. Uh, so people can get home to their roast beef um, on a Sunday afternoon. and You know, I'll use a Canadian illustration of a hockey game. Uh, it has a five-minute overtime. Um, you know, you're thrilled. Uh, but if a pastor goes five minutes into overtime, <laughs> it's, it's a whole different story. Uh, we're told today, fewer words, more pictures. Um, After all, this generation uh, learns with their eyes. Uh, We are told that children should be removed from the preached word. And I'll just be honest. I I mean, man, put them under the word. Because it's not always, I mean, they catch a lot more, first of all, than than we ever think they catch. I I have children in our church drawing me pictures, coming up and showing me pictures of, you know, something that I talked about. And it, you know, it wasn't the main point, but... They caught something, and not only are they hearing, but they're watching. So what happens? They're watching their mom and dad uh, listen to the word. Oh, that's huge. That's a, big, that's a big moment. You know, dad's not sitting in front of the TV right now. He's sitting in front of the word, and he's listening, and he's turning in his Bible. That's good. But I think if we have children in our services, we need to talk to them. We need to illustrate to them 
We need to speak to them. It's not like we have them and then we ignore them, but be able to speak into their lives. Uh, we're told less doctrine, more stories, less Bible, more relevant, um, and the list goes on. <coughs> I was going to uh, turn to Jeremiah, but you know the story of Jeremiah, all the, all the opposition that he faced. Spiritual leaders were disinterested. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Uh, people wanting to hear all things, but Jeremiah's intent on bringing them uh, the message of rest in Christ. Jeremiah 6, 13 through 16. Here's the question for us from 1 Kings 22. Do we have the courage today to stand against the growing wave of opposition and say, here's the place of rest? Because if you won't, who will? Um, And if God has called us to be instruments used in his hand, then how do we have the courage under the sovereignty of God to go back and preach in a gracious yet truthful way uh, to our people whom we love uh, the gospel of grace so I want to take a look at uh, 1 Kings 22 first of all the context in verses 1 through 5 and then in verses 6 through 13 the temptation to compromise uh, and then in 14 through 28 the courage to stand uh, and then finally we'll look at uh, the consequences so first of all in uh, verses 1 through 5 we have the context. Uh, Jehoshaphat's with a very wicked king, uh, Ahab. And Jehoshaphat himself, we saw in the last message, he, was, he had strength. He prayed. He stood. Uh, they sang before they met the enemy. He was, um, but we also see that he was a king who compromised, as we read in verse 4, uh, a little over the top. My people are your, as your people, horses, as your horses, um, but I want you to first seek the counsel of the Lord. Now, it's one thing to seek the counsel of the Lord. It's another thing to obey the counsel of the Lord, uh, and uh, that is often a battle. People will say, well, what does God's will say? Um, and I think part of the way that God deals with how his will is um, handled in Scripture is it's not, first of all, do you want to hear God's will? It's, first of all, do you want to obey God's will? Um, because you may not always like what you hear, But do you want, when you seek the counsel of the Lord, are you ready to hear uh, what God has to say? Very, very difficult. Um, But we also have Ahab. Ahab's a very interesting person. And how God actually deals with Ahab is very interesting. Uh, Because Ahab, God dealt very, very graciously with Ahab. God God is far more merciful than myself. Um, I... I cannot forget that when I when I preach that God is a God of mercy. Ahab was um, Ahab was was the wicked king. Um, he was synonymous with wickedness. Uh, and if we went back in the context, and we don't have time, but in in one Kings chapter nineteen, um, uh, he is told actually one Kings twenty, he's told that he's going to die. Um, so God warns Ahab. You, you are going to die. Now, that's significant because it's giving Ahab time to repent. It's, it's not like all of a sudden Ahab got run over by a dump truck one day and that, that was it without any warning. Ahab was warned. And then, uh, remember Naboth's vineyard? Very, very wicked act. He goes back to his bed and sulks. <laughs> Jezebel steps up and is the man. And he so says, why are you weeping? You're the king. 
go and take that vineyard. He goes and takes the vineyard, uh, and, and, um, and astoundingly, um, in verse 28 of uh, 1 Kings uh, 27, 1 Kings 21, 27, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. What would you do? Oh, Ahab, a little late now, isn't it? After all the wickedness, what does God do? The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Oh, that's astounding mercy. And it, it, it teaches me that when there are those who are not listening to God's word and rebelling against him, whether that's those in the workplace who we've witnessed to, children, our grandchildren, those in the church, that I continue to extend the mercy of Jesus Christ. The message is one of warning, but they must hear of grace. First Kings 22, Ahab is warned for the third time through the faithful proclamation of the word by Micaiah. Three times God warns him, you're going to die. You're going to die. Don't do it. Don't go to battle. You're going to die. And his, his stubborn refusal to listen to God's word. Verses 6 through 13, so they, they, they're, they're going to seek the counsel of the Lord. Verses 6 through 13, there's the temptation to compromise. Temptation to compromise. What were the challenges that Micaiah would run into? So uh, in the passage that we just looked at earlier, uh, we saw that they're, they're going to come over the hill and they're going to see this vast army. Micaiah is going to come over, in a sense, the hill, and he's going to see the opposition that awaits him. What was uh, the reality of the ministry of Micaiah? Well, in verse 6, we read, first of all, just the numbers. Uh, <clears throat> Micaiah is one. Uh, Ahab surrounds himself with 400 men. Just the, the sheer volume of opposition. You know, the, these are the ones who, who gather together, and not only are there 400 men, but they're saying what the they're saying, they're all saying the same thing. How can 400 disagree? You know, if, if it's a democracy, they win. Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. <laughs> 400 prophets, all saying the same thing, and they're all saying what the king wants to hear. Well, that's good news. God wants me to go into battle. That's, you know, that's what I thought you might say. Um, thank you, God. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. In verses 7 through 9, not only would he see the vast numbers, but in verses 7 through 9, he sees a wicked king and he sees a spineless king. In other words, the one from whom he should receive help, Jehoshaphat, isn't going to help. He, he's, he's going to be alone on this one. Verse 7, but Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here 
whom we can inquire of, you might want to ask your host, like, why do you, why do you even ask the question? What are you doing there in the first place? Identifying yourself with Ahab. And then in verse 8, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat. is <laughs> is a great verse. There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> you got to give Ahab, you know, you got you to give him props for being honest. I, I just hate him. Well, why do you hate him, Ahab? Well, because he never prophesies anything good about me but always bad, you know, about me. Honestly, like, our, my heart is sinful, and I struggle with what Ahab struggles with, because it's about me. And sometimes I don't like what God has me going through. But what the gospel does in our heart is it changes up from I hate him to I love him because I can now trust him that what he will bring me through will be good. Not easy, but at the end of the day, it will bring him glory. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. That's often the response. Oh, you talk about sin. <laughs> I remember being described one time from this young guy. We do a Conestoga Christian Fellowship. It's a college Bible site. Oh, you're one of those guys who preach about hell. <laughs> That's not very polite. The interesting thing is, actually what Micaiah was saying to Ahab was good. It wasn't bad. If, my, if, if Ahab had listened, his life would have been saved. He had a king who hated him and another king who's spineless. And sometimes that's how, it, that's why I think conferences like this are good in the sense where, it, you know, sometimes it's not always what's spoken, although it is, but sometimes it's just being among others who are going to stand alongside of you. And then you go back and you say, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Because sometimes the way it's almost portrayed out there is the message is hated and the ones who should be standing aren't standing. there's still those who have not bowed the knee. Verses 7 through 9, king who hates him, another king who's spineless. Jehoshaphat would not have his back. Ahab wants his life. Third, in verse 10, so um, verse 9, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. Verse 10, imagine this picture. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones. So they were dressed in their royal robes. They were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. This is what Micaiah is going to see. He's going to see power. He's going to see, he's going to see royal robes. Humanly speaking, those who have power over his life. He's going to see thrones. He's going to see the place where important decisions are made, the position of power. Everything about verse 10 is power. And here comes Micaiah. 400 prophets all agreeing. Spineless king, king who hates them, 
place of power. These are the powerful men of the land. And then verse 11. Verse 11 is great because Zedekiah stands up and he gets all dramatic. He, ta- he takes the horn, the symbol of power. Can you imagine how this spoke to the kings and to all the people? This is so impressive. This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. You just imagine this horn just this you're going to destroy and everything is about destruction and victory and all this drama and all this picture of power 400 prophets one very dramatic saying what the kings want to hear this position of power you ever have that you just walk up and here's the word that's all that you have you just have the word I remember walking into a hotel, oh, hotel, hospital room one time, and I was visiting this Roman Catholic lady, and her priest was in there beforehand. So I hid in another room. <laughs> and then when he left, I walked in. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, what do I have? A priest walks in, you got, well, not in this case, but you got all this smoke and all these rituals that go on, and you're thinking, oh, man, there's something humanly attractive. I mean, it just looks impressive. And then you walk in and you have the Bible. (laughs) But you know that the Bible lives. The Word of God lives. What is more powerful than the Word carried by the Spirit? But there's all this dramatic, imagine how it would look, iron horns, thrusting of the horn and the imagery. And then verse 12 All the prophets are saying the same thing. All the other prophets were prophesying the same victory. Attack Ramoth, Gilead, and be victorious. For the land will give, or for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. 400 prophets, all one voice, all saying the same thing. And it's being said over and over and over and over again with conviction. You put 400 people with dramatics saying it over and over again. And now my K is going to pull up. But, as powerful as all that looks, I wonder if verse 13 is the most powerful temptation that Micaiah has to fight. It's this quiet whisper. The messenger who had gone up to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Look at what everybody else is doing. Look what everybody else is saying. Listen, don't cause trouble here. We're all going to get along better if you just let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. It's that quiet voice. Why? Just speak favorably. Do what everybody else is doing. Tone it down a notch, really. Honestly, you get a little excited. You don't need to do that. It's not that bad. Just let your word agree with theirs. Imagine what would have happened. And Micaiah would not have been eating you know, bread and drinking water. Been able to go back peacefully. You know, get back to the hot tub or the beach or whatever it is. 
look, they're all predicting success. Let your word speak favorably. Why stand out? Get along. Turn with me just for a moment to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't think uh, things have changed a whole lot. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, 2 Timothy 3, 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. He's describing the last days. He's describing the times that we live in. What does he end up saying that we are called to do in those last days? After he speaks a little bit to Timothy, he says this in verse 15 or verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We often take this and, you know, we start talking about inspiration and all these other things, but it's in the context of the last days. And in the context of the last days, all these terrible things are happening, all this rebellion before God. And what does Paul say to Timothy? Here's the word of God. And the word of God is, will make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So in verse in chapter 4, he says, In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. What is Timothy to do in these last days? Astounding. Preach the word. When there are abusers and when there are dark days, stand up, Timothy, and preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. I actually wonder, this is what I wonder when I read uh, this pa- the, the Micaiah passage. I wonder what he was doing that morning before he got called to stand in front of two powerful kings. You know, if he's sitting outside his house having a cup of coffee, maybe he's married, has some children, maybe they're young, I have no idea. And then all of a sudden a messenger comes up and says, uh, the kings want to see you. Preach the word, in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I actually think there's an order there. You correct, you rebuke, show them the right way, and then you end up with encouragement, with great patience and careful instruction. That means you'll preach the same message again and again and again and again and again. With great patience. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, he never says anything good about me. They will gather around them a great number, 400 teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry. But the times are so bad, God. You know, th- these are difficult, difficult days. Preach the word. 
because it will make you wise unto salvation. So you're going back to hardship? Endure hardship. Endure it. Stand up after you've bowed before God. Endure. Get up the next morning. Endure. There will be terrible times in these last days. Preach the word. That's what Micaiah does. That's why I wonder if we go back to 1 Kings 22, the temptation for Micaiah is that, that final whisper. And you wonder what he's doing that morning, but listen to, listen to what he says. Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. Is that not an astounding, you know, life decision? I, I don't think you turn that switch on. I think that has to be a constant in your life. It's not like... You can, you can not preach God's word and then all of a sudden you stand before two powerful men and then you say, okay, I'm going to preach God's word now. I think it has to be your, your life mission, your statement. I can only say that the word of God by his spirit speaks to me. I can only say what God says, what God tells me. Micaiah resolves to stand in the strength of the Lord with one purpose and with one objective. I love this. I love that statement because I don't think, I don't think he sees the 400 prophets. I don't think he sees the kings. I don't think he sees the power. I don't think he sees the prestige. I don't think he sees the chaos. He sees the Lord. He hears the Lord. There, there is sometimes where... You know, I, I just will not read certain books about certain controversies. I'm just so tired of some of that stuff. I'm so tired. And honestly, there is so much going on. How do you, how do you catch it all? Honestly. Unless you have time. But if it's between a controversy and my people, and I know it's not that black and white, but if it's that, I'm, how do I... How do I not lose the fact that I'm a pastor first? And that I'm not to be off fighting all these other battles. But I'm to be concerned with my people. Not my, but the people that the Lord has given me to serve. He knows God. He knows God lives. And he will defend, he will speak the word of God. He actually, there's three moments, there are three times McKay does not compromise. The first is he speaks, first of all, the word of God clearly before the kings. It's almost like he ramps up. He speaks to the kings, then he takes on the prophets. <laughs> I mean, he could have walked away and just spoken to Ahab and said, Ahab, don't do it, and I'm going back. But he doesn't just, he doesn't do that. He, he, he then confronts the prophets, and then at the end of it all, we see, mark my words, all you people. It's like, here you go, kings, here you go, prophets, and now all you people, listen to the word of God. He's taking on everybody. He's speaking the word of God before everybody. So he says in verses 15 through 18, he speaks the word of God clearly before the kings. Uh, verse uh, 16, the king said, 
or in the middle of verse, or verse 15, when he arrived, the king asked Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? You know Micaiah has a good sense of humor when he says attack and be victorious for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Isn't that what you want to hear? I think it's more in a sense of humor though because what he ends up doing to Ahab is Ahab ends up pronouncing judgment on himself. Because what does Ahab say next? The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Okay, Ahab, you want the truth in the name of the Lord? Here it is. You have asked for it. You have pronounced judgment on yourself. Micaiah answered, I saw this. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one of them go go home in peace. Ahab, don't go. You will die. That's the truth. You didn't want to hear it. The truth is, if you do not bow before God, it will cost you your life. The king of Ahab, or the king of Israel, verse 18, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? I told you. I'm a prophet as well as a king. He only prophesies bad things. And then he moves on. He's done with Ahab. Verse 19, Micaiah continued. He could have stopped, but he continued. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And then he talks about, and there's this mysterious element to this, and I love the picture that it gives us, but I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all the hosts, right, left. Who's going to entice Ahab into attacking Raboth Gilead and going to his death there? I'm going to put a lying spirit in the 400 prophets. (laughs) One sentence, he takes on 400 prophets. You are all liars. Ahab, you're going to die. Prophets, you're liars. 400 He's not content with the king. 400 prophets. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Ahab, they're liars. Prophets, you're liars. Zedekiah stands up, slaps him. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he, when he went from me to speak to you? You'll find out on the day you go and hide in the inner room. King Ahab's had enough. He says, go and, you know, bring him away. Put him in prison, water and bread, until I return. The defiance of Ahab. And then he says, if you, have, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Mark my words, all you people. The kings, the prophets, all the people. He just simply stands and says, here's the path of salvation. Here's the way of life. Bow yourself before God. Listen to his word. You will find life. Is the only thing that we read about this prophet. One moment, no one notices him. The next moment, he's standing in front of all this power and chaos. 
there's a warning there, an encouragement that how you stand in ordinary times, how you are in the quiet times, will determine in many ways how you respond to the extraordinary times. What you do now in the relative quietness of your life determines what you will do in the chaos. There is a certain sense that no matter how dark things get, we just continue to do what we do. Trusting that as it gets darker, the light shines brighter. But we don't run. We don't yell. We don't seek power for ourselves. We just humbly serve God's people, preaching faithfully his word. It's the power to salvation. What are the consequences? Verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel, you know, the word of God got to him. Because he says to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. <laughs> what a coward. <laughs> I'm going to go as a nobody. But Jehoshaphat, you put on the royal robes. <laughs> you got to be thinking, Jehoshaphat at this point should have just pulled out. My horses are no longer your horses, Ahab. And my people are no longer your people because you want me to be the bullseye. Just point your, you know, point your sword or your, your, your bow and arrow towards me. I, I'm just, I got the big circle on my, on my chest. That is, that is the issue with compromise, though, isn't it? Where do you stop? Where do you stop? So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, great or, or small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew a bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the section of his armor. That's like Kirk said last night. You cannot, you cannot run from a sovereign God. You can go high, you can go low. You can go to the east or the west. You cannot hide. Nobody else noticed. This man who shot the arrow would never have known. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of his chariot, and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, every one to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him there. They washed the chariot <coughs> at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed. And the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. How do we weep that sinners are passing? Here's this man, one woman, royal robe, sitting in the gate of power. 
and the next he's humped over in a chariot and his blood ends up where the prostitutes bathed. As for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built the inlaid with, and inlaid with ivory, <clears throat> and the cities he fortified, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. I think verse 49, 39 is very important, simply because it's saying Ahab had all of this. So what? He had a palace built. It was inlaid with ivory. He died. I just close with these three thoughts. What if Micaiah had done any less? What happens if he listened to that whisper? What happens if he became prophet 401? The words of life would not be spoken. Okay, I just stood and spoke the word of God. How was Micaiah able to stand? Back in verse 14, as surely as the Lord lives. If we know that Christ lives, that he is the resurrected Savior and he reigns, if the Lord lives, and he does, I can tell others only what the Lord tells me. Micaiah did not do this, I don't think, because he's made out to be an extraordinary man. He did this because the Lord lives. Turn with me just for a moment to 1 Corinthians 15. You will know this passage as uh, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body. And then in verse 54, uh, he's summing it up. When the perishable has clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the therefore in verse 58? Therefore, my brothers, my dear brothers, stand firm. Astounding. After talking all about the resurrection of Christ, the, resu- the new body, the hope eternal, what are we called to do? If the Lord lives, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Not 400 prophets, not power, not chaos, not the darkness of the end times. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I sometimes have these conversations with others. How in the ministry do you not end up growing bitter? Because of all the pain and all the sin that you see. 
but you end up growing more gracious, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I think it's a challenge. I think I need the Lord for that. That at the end of my ministry, I'm more gracious and more patient and more courageous. And I don't coast. But I'm giving myself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor is not in vain. Do you know that your labor is not in vain? That what you will do tonight and tomorrow and the next day and this coming Sunday, it's not in vain. Because there's a resurrected Savior. The Lord lives. Acts 2.14, final thought. You might say to yourself, well, you know what? I haven't been doing a very good job of this. I've been caught up in other things. And if anything, this message has just really discouraged me. (laughs) It makes me not want to go back. Look at Acts 2.14. I just... Just read uh, the first, first part. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. What's so exciting about that? A little while ago, Peter didn't stand up. A servant girl. You're one of those. No. He's on the outside. You're one of those. No. You're one. God curse me if I'm one of those. Jesus comes back. Why was Peter able to stand up? Because in John we read, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? When we go back, it's not how much do you know? It's not how brave are you? It's not how big are things or how vibrant are things or whatever it is. Do you love me? Because if you love your Christ, you will stand up with others. You will raise your voice and you will address the crowd. I remember reading from John MacArthur an illustration. He says, a man comes forward after he'd spoken about the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this man comes forward and he says, listen, if your wife has just died, like mine has, and your babies were crying for their mother, who would never come back, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying today. A few days later, the preacher's wife passes away in a train crash. And after the funeral service, he says this, the other day when I, was the, when I was here, a man told me that if my wife had just died and my children were crying for their mother, I would not be able to say that Christ was compassionate. If that man is here today, I want to tell him Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken. It is crushed, but it has a song, and Christ put it there. I want to tell that man that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. The man was there. He knelt beside the the casket while the pastor introduced him to Christ. 
Is there a song in your heart? Has Christ put it there? And we can go and speak words of comfort because he is a great God. Let's bow in order.